All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. We are live every Monday noon. You will see us here. We are here indeed. Uh, we just got off a good weekend here. Feel recharged, ready to get into it. This week, we are going to be talking about IVF. Always a fun topic to be talking about. Uh, we are going to be talking about Google Gemini. Uh, maybe missed the mark significantly, uh, some would say. And then we're going to round it out with where uh, these Christian nationalists believe their rights come from. And maybe we were prophetic on a previous podcast. We talked about it, but we're going to talk about IVF. Okay. So we spent some time. Uh, this is not a new issue for Catholics and actually excited in some ways to talk about it because we have such a, we're one of the few organizations that have kind of a rich intellectual tradition thinking about this kind of thing. Uh, but we had a court case uh, come down from Alabama. It had to do with uh two couples coming forth, bringing a lawsuit because someone got into the lab and destroyed their frozen embryos um, that were in a tray. And so they uh, actually sued the fertility clinic saying that uh, someone had actually basically hurt their child. Uh, It's under uh, a law there right now. Um, I have the name of the law, wrongful death, the minors act. So it brought up all these conversations about, you know, wait a second, are embryos actually children? Um, are there something less than children? Of course, Catholics have thought about this, but the secular world tries to actually stay out of that a lot. So it brought a lot of things to the forefront. Um, Erica, why why has this kind of burst under the scene and created so much controversy? Yeah, this is a touchy, touchy issue. Um, and I don't mean touchy in a dismissive way, but it just touches the core of so many so many emotional strings right going on here. And I think that the reason why this Alabama court ruling is actually three couples. There was an accidental uh, dropping of a tray of embryos and the embryos were destroyed and in the lab. <clears throat> and Alabama law, the, the Alabama, uh, the, the municipal court at first dismissed it. They said this is not an issue. But then the, the couples brought it to the Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court, um, which is charged with upholding the law, uh, which in Alabama state law currently recognizes that every human child, regardless of their location, and in this case, one of the left's sort of taglines that they've glommed onto is this extra uterine child that the court came up with, extra uterine children um, are, are worthy of legal constitutional protections because under Alabama law, life begins at conception. And whether that happens in the mother's womb or in the Petri dish, um, they are worthy of the same protection. So in fact, the court upheld this. And I think, like I said, one of the reasons why this has sparked so much of a firestorm is because Democrats see this as a winning political issue, right? They see this, they understand that I mean, over 85%, the stats say, of Americans approve of IVF. They see it as a way to build families, to help couples struggling with the the terrible cross of infertility, which is a a real suffering for many couples. Um, And so emotionally, the Democrats understand that emotionally they have the American people on their side here, just as we saw and I would tie this, you know, to similar outcomes we saw with um, pro with abortion measures in Kansas and Michigan, Ohio. The Democrats see that uh, attacks on human life um, are a winning issue for them, and so this is a great way to bring all to bring IVF will be banned everywhere in the United States because that you can't recognize these uh, embryos as children because if you recognize that, then 
oh my gosh, well then abortion's murder, <laughs> right? They, they understand the stakes. And I think Catholics also, because of our rich intellectual tradition, we understand the stakes in recognizing um, me, frozen embryos as let humans. Me, let yeah, me press you ahead. on that. Let me go press you on that to start. So what are the stakes? What, what are mm. some of the, the quick, easy hitter problematic things when we see IVF? Yeah. So I think the stakes with IVF, if you have a legal system that recognizes that life begins at conception, then you are suddenly faced with the reality that we have over 1 million human protection, human lives in frozen stasis in the United States. And if you get a court saying those are human lives with constitutional protections, suddenly you've opened up this can of worms that's saying, you know, I these frozen embryos are deserving of something. Of they're dignity. humans, right? They're humans. We yeah, right. which we've been saying, the Catholic Church has been saying since it, the beginning of time. <laughs> um, but the the left understands that they they can now say, oh, the court said that these are humans. Oh, well, this is going to end IVF. And that's going to kickstart this emotional reaction with the American people. Um, and I, it's been fascinating watching pro-life Americans and conservative Americans try to grapple with this ruling because unless wow. you have the consistent principle that yes, these are human persons and deserving of protections, you're left with this sort of vague, okay, what are we going to do with all these frozen embryos? If I could ask Josh, because this was discussed and I don't even fully understand this because this fight was happening when I was pretty young, but you've said it's almost reminded you a little bit of the uh, gay marriage uh, rights argument, uh, the fight for that uh, at a certain time. Why did you say it reminded well, you? Well, no, I mean, I think the actually the debate it reminds me about more is in 20, you know, the whole Obamacare. So Clinton gets, Obama, I mean, Barack Obama passes Obamacare. And then immediately afterwards, we say this is a violation of our religious freedom rights because we're, we're now forced to support sterilization and abortifacients and you know birth control and all this other stuff and the left seized on this and said hey wait a minute republicans are against birth control mm -hmm. it's like no 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 no. we didn't say we are trying to pass a law to make birth control illegal that that's not really on the table that's not really an option what we are trying to do is just say don't force religious nuns to pay for birth control and also sterilizations and other forms of uh, health, so-called health services that Catholics don't believe in. But see, again, the left loves to lie. So they love to make that the, the debate. And so you're not even having a real debate. Now, we can have a debate as a society whether or not IVF should be uh, legal or not. I would, of course, love it for it to be illegal because I think it's patently obvious that it's immoral to, to create human life in a Petri dish. And of course, the problem with it when you do it you end up creating a lot more lives than you need. And you, you know, there's selective reduction as they like to call it in the womb. And then also the ones that are put in, uh, in, in basically a freezer. And it's a lot, it, it's the kind of thing that people don't really like to talk about a lot. The, one of the reasons they don't like to talk about it is because you feel your heart goes right. out for people who are infertile and you want to figure out what, you know, you want them to have children, you know? And I mean, it's, Obviously, my wife and I have been blessed with six children. We didn't have any fertility problems. Um, you know, my heart goes out to those people that have that situation. I talked to somebody just, uh, you know, today who said, hey, look, 
you really should start to, we could use this as a moment to talk to uh, couples and let them know there are other things like NAPRO that are, that understand, you know, what it is about the woman's fertility and work with that and try to help along that and can find out, Hey, wait a minute. And now they've got like five kids and, and it worked out well for them and they didn't have to do IVF for anything artificial. It was just understanding the way the body worked a little bit better. So there are fertility treatments that don't get this moral quandary of IVF, which I think is, well, the church thinks is immoral. And again, my heart goes out to them. Now I saw online, people discuss this and they're like, oh, well, some Catholic pro-life was like, ah, typical Trump's not going to be there for us. Mm. You know, it sounds like he's, you know, he's going to be a squish. And then you have some people like Jack, uh, Jack, how do you say his name? Napogasic. I can never say it. Definitely not. Call him Poso. And Poso's like trying to, he's, you know, he's the super Trump fan. And so he's like, yeah, you know, let's be pro-life because Trump is like, hey, people want babies. IVF is the pro-life position. That's not true. But Jack Pozo is like, well, how do I try to make this look good? And he's like, yeah, let's try to adopt these frozen embryos and bring them to life. I mean, I don't know if that's really the solution. I mean, I I, I think the heart's in the right place. But I think you're, what he's trying to do is to try to make it sound like Trump's IVF position isn't bad. I mean, it is bad. Now, I would say this. <laughs> I'm sure, like Erica said, it's like something like 80, 85 percent of the American mm -hmm. public think IVF should be allowed. Um, it's going to be a it's going to take pro-life Catholics who understand the moral problems with this. It's going to take us a long time to try to convince Americans to think twice about this. You know, and so if we say, well, we got to ban it right now because we got one court that finally kind of saw the light on this, a state court, uh, realistically, you know, what's going to happen is the legislature in Alabama is probably going to pass a law within the mm -hmm. next few weeks and make sure that everyone knows that IVF is perfectly fine in Alabama. So what is what can we do as pro-life Catholics to try to respond to this moment? Well, I think, first of all, preaching to the choir actually is a good thing. So what we can do is let other Catholics know, actually, IVF is morally problematic. In fact, the church considers it evil. wrong and evil. Yep. And there are, by the way, much better ways. And let me tell you about some of these better fertility treatments. And then, and then what we can try to hope for is the next time we get a, a president in the White House who's pro-life, get that president to say, now, I'm not saying you should, you know, tackle this issue head on. I'm not saying you should try to make it illegal. I realize that that's probably not in the cards for a while uh, or, you know, or for the foreseeable future. But we can at least do is find out what's going on here. I mean, we have these IVF companies that are making millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and we have no idea what their procedures are, the regulations are. It's just sort of right. Shock, shocking. Wild right. West. I yeah. think one so, of the first so steps. Just, so so right. a little disclosure. Let us know what's going on. Go ahead. Everybody. Right. I think one of the first steps is to draw attention because so little is known. I know some of the people on our po politics uh, staff, they were looking it up and there's so little information about this industry. I looked it up. This is like $4.1 million a month. It's just, it's a massive industry, a lot like the abortion industry. And so little is known. And it was really fascinating for me to dig in a little bit into the way that the European countries approach this. Um, and again, I I believe, 
with the church that IVF is the commodification of the human person. It is, it is immoral, but like you said, Josh, it is probably, it is not in the cards right now for us to have anything more than an incremental approach. So I think that educating people about the fact that we are in the wild west of the fertility industry here and that other countries uh, that we often, you know, try to emulate uh, as Americans, they, they don't see it that way. So I was looking up um, some of the regulations in the European countries. So in America, there's no limit on the number of embryos you can uh, conceive, quote unquote, in the Petri dish. There's no limits on, uh, you know, how long you store them, how those storage facilities are regulated. It really is just left to the companies um, which treat these embryos as commodities or in the case of Alabama now liabilities um, and really cash cows. But if you go to European countries, you'll see regulations like in France, you can only create two embryos at a time. That's it. Hmm. And then you implant both of them in Spain. Spain is the highest number you can do at once. And it's three. Like hmm. there are reasonable and, and part of the reason why, why Europe regulates it so, so highly is because they recognize the emotional stakes, the political stakes. And they're like, okay, this is, I mean, it's Orwellian really, but or not Orwellian. Let's go with Huxleyan, more Aldous yeah. Huxley than Orwell. Yeah. So, um, it's really interesting, and I think starting to educate Americans on something that we don't really talk about that much because of the emotional baggage, um, it, it could be a step forward for pro-life Americans trying to make their way in a post-sexual revolution America. Yeah, and if, you're, if right, I could, you're right. If I could just add some scale real quick, because mm-hmm. I, I, for most like this is probably speaking for myself, like I think Catholics who haven't gone through the IVF process don't really have a grasp on what the american industry is like but like i've i found an article of someone basically saying yes i'm a converted catholic i went through the ivs process ivf process she said the doctor retrieved 38 good eggs 31 of them were fertilized uh over the next week 16 of our children embryonic children die and are discarded 13 are cryogenically frozen mostly two to a vial two fresh embryos are transferred to my uterus um, and then the babies ended up miscarrying as as it was at twenty weeks, twenty one weeks gestation. Oh um, man! And half the babies didn't survive thawing. I mean, just take a step back from all of this. Like this is almost like a, it almost feels like a Star Wars conversation. You know, like that technology would get to the place where you're watching your children die in a petri dish. It's like science fiction almost. Uh, talk about just something horrible to even put a couple through. I wish it were fiction. Right. Yeah. I wish it were fiction as well. But but just like. I think the hardest thing about it is like two of the biggest lies I see actually secular people may be coming around to, and this isn't going to be a immediate fix hormonal birth control as like how horrible the effects of that are on young women. I mean, Mm -hmm. young women start getting prescribed that when they're 13 years old and stay on it sometimes until, you know, they can't have children anymore, which is crazy. Um, All the effects on that are horrible. And then number two, IVF, because the problem with IVF in my eyes is there's never any ad- addressing of uh, the biological reality of a woman's cycle. It's just completely circumventing that going towards medical, really intense, expensive medical intervention process. And you never really work with a woman in a collaborative way to understand the root causes of why you might not be able to have children. And so well, that's right. what's so cool about NAPRO. Mm-hmm. And I've, and I've, I've, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Like I have been around women who were terrified of their own body 
because they didn't understand it because they had irregular cycles or different things. They saw and it so as defective, right? Totally yeah. saw themselves as the problem. Mm-hmm. And talk about like uh, an empowering experience to be able to teach a woman how to understand their own body, understand it as natural, be able to regulate it properly. And then you're not only going to be able to be have a better chance at fertility, but also be a lot healthier personally. So that to me just seems like, and this it exists, right? Anyone could do this tomorrow, but I don't think a lot of people really know about that outside of really like Catholic circles, I guess. But it's okay. one of those things where, you know, we had a t- talk, about, we discussed uh, nutrition several on the Loopcast many months ago. And one of the points that you made, Pogo, is that um, uh, good eating, right? Just eating normal stuff like vegetables and meat and proteins, that kind of stuff is good for humans. But it doesn't make corporations money like potato chips. <laughs> Don't get me started, know, Josh. And <laughs> snacks, right? And snack <laughs> foods and, and sugary pop, right? That's what makes them money. Therefore, they're going to push that, right? Like who's going to do commercials on the Super Bowl saying, eat vegetables, yay. It's like, no one's making money on that. So they're not going to do it. Well, this is the same thing with regards to this. Even if, even if, even if somehow IVF were not immoral, which it is immoral. But even if somehow it wasn't, companies would still be pushing it because there's a lot more profit in there than there is simple fertility awareness or some of these other fertility methods like NAPRO that aren't as really that big of a moneymaker per se. Do you see what I mean? So there is that element that's kind of underwriting this. Oh, hormonal birth control? Are you kidding me? That's a Mm -hmm. billion dollar industry with a B. I mean- Yeah, of course, right. There's there's no money to be made in telling people- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be abstinent right. and you know, not but I was just around. talking about the fertility treatments on one hand. You're you're talking about the contraceptive thing as well, which I I think they go with. I think they go hand it's in all hand. together. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, you know, the left, you know, all those movies like yeah, about you know all the presidents, man, Watergate, follow the money, follow the money. You know something? Mm-hmm. Maybe some of these young women should start to ask themselves, why is it? that these companies and these industries are, are pushing me this way. Is it for my own benefit or is it perhaps that they want to make a ton of money? Worth yeah. asking. I think it's also worth asking, you know, just as Catholics, how, how we're doing with couples struggling with infertility. And I saw Nighthawk had thrown up on the screen there, a story that I found um, at Femme Catholic about uh, this, this one couple's struggle with the Catholic church's teaching. And they actually, they were they were so pained by their the infertility their inability to conceive that they went down the IVF road and eventually came back around when they experienced for themselves the commodification of their bodies and their children and starting to see each other um, that this isn't just, I mean, we talk a lot about as Catholics about uh, the sexual act, the conjugal act being procreative, but also they begin to recognize that when you separate the procreation of children from the sexual act, you also start to damage the unitive aspect of that act that brings a couple together um, uh, as a man and a woman. And she said that, you know, eventually after, you know, her, their embryos were transferred out of state because of some policy change with their, and she was just brokenhearted. She finally went to her priest and what turned her around was that the priest with much compassion said to her, look, the problem with IVF, and I'm quoting, is that it treats babies as commodities rather than human beings. IVF is a business and babies are the product. And she goes, it's a very beautiful reflection. I'll drop it in the show notes. And she said, all I know is that IVF unsettles me. 
they're not they're not pursuing that anymore but please pray for me and all couples walking through infertility and this is her prayer um, may my desire for you god be greater than my desire for a child and uh, i just thought it was a beautiful uh, reflection there I, I just want to though add on one thing here though like while i'm happy that the priest compassionately gave her the truth and that is to be commended i can't help but just ache a little bit because wouldn't that woman have benefited from knowing what the church stood on this issue beforehand? And how would she have known? See, that's interesting. One of the, one of her points though, is she knew they, she knew she had read the document. She's trained in theology, but their desire for children, that this is my purpose as a woman, this is, was it overcame that intellectual knowledge. Yes. And it's, yeah. It's, but that's, it's a tough that, question. But, but theology should not just be an exercise that's private between you and the documents that you're reading, mm -hmm. you know, even with you and your spouse, let's say, and the documents that you're reading. Again, I'm not trying to harp on, I mean, I'm thankful that the priest was compassionate and presented the truth. You know, those are what were required. It's just that it would be helpful if we had a church where this was a regular thing and, and taught, promulgated from, from popes, priests, bishops all throughout the whole church that hey look i know people are struggling with this i mean here's an opportunity this came up in the news now well, Josh, how many priests CDF, are going to start the cdf did take this up i don't know if you remember i this. know i'm familiar there's there's a document that ratzinger wrote before we became pope that's actually very phenomenal mm -hmm. on this but i just again it's one thing it can't be just like a well we we did write this piece of paper in 1986 discussing yeah. this like yes look i get it mm -hmm. but like there are couples every month that are going through this anguish and they're right. thinking, well, is this the solution for me? Should I think about this? It shouldn't only be Catholic websites, you know, like, you know, uh, Catholic.org or whatever that are going through and explaining to people, actually, you know what? Mm, you really shouldn't do this. We love you. Compassion, truth. That's good. I'm glad we have that. We need that. But it would be nice to have a little bit more of an ecclesiastical response because it is painful. It is a touchy subject, but if it's never brought up, then how are people going to know? Oh. Not everyone has a theology degree or whatever, like this lady does. They're not well-versed in it. They just, they're looking to the church for guidance. Right. So Josh, if I could schoolhouse rock this real quick, because let's just say, you know, for the sake of this, this hypothetical, the church has done a good enough job so that there's a decent amount of Catholics that just in no situation would ever advise IVF, understand it to be immoral, would never advocate for it publicly or in law, et cetera. Uh, we're talking about an issue that garners 80 to 85% of public support. You know, people see Trump say I'm pro IVF we're pro more children. Um, how would, how, what do you think the best way for Catholics to approach this debate in an effective manner today? To be well, what's going to go? What's going to happen is the state of Alabama, the legislature there, is going to debate what to do about this ruling, and probably they're going to. I'm almost sure of it. Within a few weeks, pass a law, and the governor will sign it. That will say make it clear that couples who are struggling to have children can use IVF. Um, and the liberals will say, "Wait a minute, you're you're being contradictory. You said you're pro-life, and you believe life begins at conception." And, this and that and this and that. I mean, I'm just telling you, barring a miracle, and miracles do happen, but barring a miracle, that law is going to get passed in the next three or four weeks. And so pro-lifers in Alabama 
and throughout the country can at least advise them saying, hey, it ultimately is not going to really change anything. You know, IVF, I mean, IVF is now kind of on halt in Alabama because of the court ruling. So I'm not trying to say that's not changing anything. But my point is, it, it's almost a, a lock that the lawmakers in Alabama are going to pass a law allowing couples to do IVF again. Because the con the consensus is it's not a unanimous, but it's like 85%. They're going to pass it. What can we do? We can educate people about why we have serious concerns because, it, you know, it is immoral. We think it preys on infertile couples. We don't think it's, you know, we think there are better fertility treatments that respect human life. Um, ultimately, what we can try to do is convince lawmakers to make it a better bill, reform it or whatever. I would hope that they don't establish in law that life begins at implantation, which is one way they might just try to get away from this. Hmm. That way, IVF would be perfectly that, fine. That's I the mean, hill so to die on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You can't yeah. I mean, the thing is, if the, you can still pass a bill like this without surrendering the principle, um, you know, so we'll see what happens. It's, I mean, I just would say, it, you know, th this is an opportunity. I'm waiting for the, the Catholic lefties to pounce on this because I'm sure they'll they'll use this as an opportunity to say, oh, you're pro-life and you support Trump, but Trump is totally against this. Right. And it's hilarious because you say to these Catholic lefties, like, you support Biden who supports abortion <laughs> on the day a baby's born. And right. you're going <laughs> to, you know, and you're going to pretend like you're on the high horse here. Like, give me a break. You know, so, I mean, look, John, Pope John Paul, uh, Donald Trump is not Pope John Paul II. He's not going to. Amen. He's not going to issue Evangelium Vitae. He's not going to. Uh, no argument there. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. a debate that we're going to have to chip away at for a long well, time. Yeah, and, and I agree. And the, uh, again, the, pol art, the politics is the art of getting stuff done. So just because Trump isn't there yet on this issue doesn't mean, okay, we all have to jump ship and now we just let Biden run, you know, run again for 2024. So it's like, my issue with this is when people come to me like that, I was like, yeah, he's not perfect. Of course. Have you ever seen anything like anything problematic that he's done? Like, yes, we all have seen it. But look yeah. at the alternative, right? Again, yeah. <laughs> Politics are well, and it's done. Like, so yeah, I'm not. And I, yeah. and I don't understand why there would be any, you know, frustration with that. Like, yeah, it's frustrating. Like there's a speck in our guy's eyes, lots of specks in our guy's eye, but the other guy's got like a thousand planks coming out of every part of his body. Like, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, Joe yeah. Biden is is a wretched human being, and he supports abortion on the day a baby's born. Right. We understand. You know, we understand. He wants Biden's to push porta books on kids. I mean, like, right. come on. Like, so is my guy like Superman? Am I going to worship him because he's awesome? And, and and if he says something, I suddenly agree with it. You know, oh, I thought IVF was immoral, but now he says it's okay and pro-life, so I'm going to go for it now. Well, and not. I think too, I think too, just our experience of Trump v. Biden in terms of someone who is willing to negotiate, concede, compromise, make a point. Like I have much more hope that with Trump in the White House, we could actually have a conversation about regulating the IVF industry and at least make some gains in that direction. Under Biden, right. there is no question there would never be any kind of concessions there. So again, like. Yeah, understand. Yeah, politics, art of doing the of finding what's possible, getting it done. Uh, well, Erica, at first you'd be able to actually have to have an intelligent conversation with Biden, which I, I don't honestly, genuinely do not I'm think not is possible. I'm not sure that's at possible, right? Stage of his life, or whoever's um, running the White House. They were making fun of him on Italian TV. Did you see that? Like, I saw yeah. that. That was. 
It's what SNL should be doing. But yeah. talking about Israel and Gorbachev. SNL had later. a good moment this weekend, I have to say, with the sneakers. Well, with Shane. Yeah. yeah. With, oh, and then the yeah, the stand-up good dude with the yeah, it was great. It was, Shane Gillis they, is the you man. Know, it's possible, but I'm not holding my breath on SNL. So I saw someone someone ripped to take like Shane Gillis has done more for uh, shaming people that are against Down syndrome kids than mm-hmm. anyone in the movement has done. Uh, yeah. ever and i was like honestly it's kind of true like shane gillis on the down syndrome stuff is so funny it's like it, it yeah. is it's like very endearing for of course anyone that knows someone with down syndrome anyway that's a whole nother tangent we don't need to get on right now <laughs> uh let's keep it moving i had an ad popped in we have some exciting stuff going on with the loop so uh we have goals we have big goals uh we are uh searching for one million dollars by super tuesday uh we would use this money to get the loop to one million subscribers. Josh, do you have an active ticker of where the loop is at right now in terms of subscriber base? We're north of six hundred and fifty thousand. So Woo-hoo. we're moving. We're cruising. That's crazy. That's that is right. crazy. That's so um we have a place if you want to help out with this. Uh if you feel like the work is meaningful, you want to reach more people, get us to a million. Uh so that will be loopcast.org. So loopcast.org. If you want to help donate, you want to ke- help out the loop, the loopcast, of course, by proxy. Um, this is it's kind of what we do here, Josh. So uh, thank you in advance to anyone that's helping out there. Again, loopcast.org. I'll have it in the description if anyone wants to help out with that campaign. So we move on to the next one. And uh, the this section is best described as you do not hate journalists enough. So uh, <laughs> there was an article written by the AP. I think we could just start there. Nighthawk, if you want to just pull up the AP article, should be in that tweet there. It was about, a unfortunately, a young woman uh dying she she was murdered uh running on the university of georgia's campus i want to say her name uh because i would love some uh prayers for the pose of her soul lake and riley lake and riley so lake and riley tragically um was killed uh, in uga in athens and so the ap uh, wrote an article and typically when when journalists uh, are doing investigative pieces on um, what happened they like to, to refer to police reports they maybe go into who the suspect his past, his history, where the motivation is. The who, so, what, where, why, and how. Mm, basic <laughs> journalism. That's big J journalism. 101. Right so instead of doing that, the AP decided to write an article uh, entitled, The Killing of a Nursing Student Out for a Run Highlights the Fears of Solo Female Athletes. Uh, first of all, there's like a million things wrong with this. <laughs> Go off. Where game. to begin? First of all, how does the AP know anything? Wait, can the AP even define what a female is? No. They just answer. found out, I guess. Remember, that was mm-hmm. the last two years. They haven't been able to say what a female is. And suddenly they can find out what a female is when talking about a female athlete and the dangers of a female athlete because she's jogging. What Again, this is like intentional deception. Like, if that is not the concern. That is not the concern that well, lots of moms and dads are thinking about with their college students. Oh, my gosh. Poor female athletes are at risk. No, what they're concerned about is the fact that this man, Jose Abera, crossed into this country illegally in September 2022. They apprehended him at the border. And because we have catch and release, this crazy program where instead of saying, oh, uh, you entered this country illegally, we're going to return you to your home, Venezuela. No, 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 we can't do that. Mm-mm. We we let him out into the country and say, you know, in a, in a few years... You can have your asylum trial where you can say, make your claim for asylum. And so then he gets his somehow gets a trip up to New York, whether it's a bus or, or whatever, gets to New York, gets arrested again, 
child endangerment, right? That was last September, September 2003. So now 2010. he's arrested. Yeah, September 23, right? September yeah. or November? You said 2003, which was the year I got 20, married. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. 2023. Hey, we're with you. Sorry. All right. <laughs> so September 2023, he gets arrested again, this time in New York City. Child endangerment, right? But what happens? They don't have any spot to detain him, so they just release him and let him out again. A second, arrested, caught, let go. And then a, a rinse and repeat, arrested, mm -hmm. caught, let go. He goes from New York down to Georgia. Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is, is a sanctuary city. So they're not going to be, what does that mean, sanctuary city? It sounds so nice. Oh, they love churches there? No. What a sanctuary city means is they're not going to cooperate with ICE and federal law enforcement officials about someone's immigration status. So this guy is in Athens, Georgia, murders Lake and Riley. How's that not illegal? Now, the reporters, what do the reporters do? They refer to him not as a Venezuelan, not a national, not as an illegal alien. Maybe they didn't know he was illegal at first, but they knew he's from Venezuela. They could say Venezuelan national, right? They don't say that. They say Athens resident. He was someone who was residing in the city of Athens, which is technically true. That's where he's been for the last few months till he murdered this woman. But it completely obscures the fact. They don't want you to think he was in the country illegally because then you might think, well, why do we have an open border? Right. They're, they're trying to prevent Americans from understanding the truth. So they're obscuring and preventing you from knowing certain facts. This is a media that hates you and hates your family. When are Americans going to wake up? Lake and mm -hmm. Riley is dead because of Joe Biden. It's baloney. Yeah. Yeah. Just unconscionable it, reporting quote, here. Quote, quote from the AP article. Quote, it's unpreventable, I think, what happened to her. End quote, she said. Right. <laughs> I can I mean, think of at least four points we had in the last two years where this could have been prevented. This man should not have been in the country. He should not have been. I mean, the catch and release is just, especially they know he's a danger to people who were weaker than him. But see, uh, unbelievable. You know, some, would say, some would say, well, trying to enter the country illegally, you're just looking for a better life. And they're not necessarily violent. But he was arrested for child endangerment in New York City. So at that point, why do you let him out? This drives but, me crazy. But what does it even mean to arrest someone who's not even here legally? Like the the our legal system is not set up to handle people who we can't even recognize. We don't know anything on this guy. It's, well, the it's thing basically is if he has a, no identification. You, exactly. you put him in holding. And then what's supposed to happen is you find out somehow who this person is and you talk with the immigration officials and say, you know, here we got this guy, you know, take a photo. Do you have him in the database somewhere? And they could have said, oh, yeah, he crossed the border, you know, at near El Paso in September 2022. And then you'd be like, oh, was he illegal? Yeah. And you let him out. OK, yeah. So then in New York City, if you arrest him for child endangerment and you find out he's in the country illegally, maybe you communicate with ICE, ICE and you don't let him go. But of course, New York City is also a sanctuary city, probably the first one. Right. And they're not going to cooperate with federal law enforcement officials. This drives me up the wall. Right. Yeah, but what, then, since since when did it become acceptable to not cooperate with federal law enforcement officials? Like, I, I don't even right. understand how that even became a thing. Shouldn't we just 
You could just say no right. now to stuff you don't like? Like, that's crazy. Right, because they understand that there's no will in the federal branch to impose the law. So right. if there's no will, they can say whatever the heck they want. This was a great story, actually. Just <laughs> It came out of it in Bloomberg. It's um, lawless, Tom. You're right, though. Yeah, it is lawless. This this came out in Bloomberg around Christmas time, actually. But I pulled it up again. Venezuela, where this uh, perpetrator's murderer came from, The Venezuelan rate of violent deaths has dropped to its lowest level in over two decades. Why? Because we are following years of massive migration as criminals and victims flee the nation. Right. We've imported them here. So it's just it it goes through the stats. Right. We have never said anything about it here. Um, But the fact that the AP that so many people still rely on is failing to to understand it to say this i mean it's just just for people no, don't yeah, know just 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 a journalism 101 again too people don't understand <laughs> maybe they don't know this but the associated press is a wire service and so every newspaper in the country pretty much has Uses their, their own stuff. articles in their own local newspaper so i you know like the detroit news has their reporters that cover the scene in detroit and they submit those articles to the wire in case anyone else in another part of the country wants them well so this story is now hot and so right. some reporter in Georgia uploads it, and then now it goes on the AP wire throughout the whole country. So AP is not like it's, you know, it's not like a small, what, it, what you know, in case anyone was wondering what it is. But again, they're following the same kind of tide. It's, it's, it's using, you know, we want to use the English language to try to better inform people, right? Isn't that what journalism is supposed to be about? So wouldn't you say, hey, for good or for ill, this happens to be, an illegal alien that has committed this murder. Does that mean illegal aliens commit crime at a higher rate? Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it's the facts in this case. Right, just the facts, Why would you man. avoid it? We should, you know, we should be able to know what's going on in our country. And people who enter into a country illegally, gosh, maybe they don't have as much respect and love and neighborly, you know, and that's again, the left, the Catholic left likes to say, well, you know, welcome your neighbor. Embrace okay. the stranger. But you yeah. know what? If I could jump in, so there hasn't been a homicide in Athens in like 30 years, I think the police yeah, chief was Yeah, it was the saying. first time in decades. And of course, this is, a, this is a bomb that blew up. But am I the only one that sees, I hate to, this is just so obvious. I don't know if other people think this. So people that are here illegally, it's just a ticking time bomb of people that, like if I live in a society, I pay tax, live in America, pay taxes, people in my local community know me, I have a driver's license. Like if I were to do something like this, my life would be over immediately and I would never be able to leave jail. Right. Or even, even something like less than this, like a misdemeanor or yeah. whatever, like people know who like I am. Like the other stuff like, he was arrested for. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Stealing right. the car or exactly. stealing like, drugs. Right. It's the whole purpose of like registering someone places. Like even we, we register who has guns in this country. Like people that are citizens they have ties that make it easy to hold them accountable for the things that they do but if we have people here who don't even have proper documentation i know that like at the southern board a lot of people will leave undocumented citizens and they'll say yeah pick pick your name because i hope you like it because that's what you're going to be known as in america like we we don't even have the kind of relationships with other countries to even like they don't have the databases of people that are even in their country so there's just no opportunity for real accountability therefore a huge public safety problem um even if no one was going to do anything like and of course we know human nature there's going to be a certain amount of percentage of people that are going to be doing things like this and need to be held accountable like why do we have the police to begin with why do we have 
the military to begin with. Why do you know what I mean? Like this is just a huge time bomb. I don't understand. It just blew up, and so people are angry about it now. The coverage, of course, is outrageous. But like, this is a this is a problem that, of course, could have been solved. Maybe that's what's most uh, infuriating about it. It's a real problem that could have been solved. Hundred percent. And the people yeah. that are in charge of making those decisions to ensure that justice is promoted in our country are either intentionally not doing it, and then the question bears: Why are they intentionally not doing it? Or they're just so dumb that they just. I don't know. I don't think the answer is they're so dumb. There's something that's happening. There's a real erosion of the rule of law. And I'm really nervous about where that puts us because. Um, well, I think they want, I think the left wants social unrest. Mm-hmm. Make a mess. Well, oh, wait, that I was mean, someone else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think I'll go with that, even though I don't like that guy. But no, I think what's going on here is that the Biden administration is intentionally allowing for open borders policy to create unrest in the country they want to change transform america and that's what mm-hmm. barack obama talked about transforming america to something else like what what person who loves their country would allow 11 million people to cross the border illegally it just does, does not make any sense uh, you know unless of course you think oh they really are nefarious these people that mm-hmm. in our government do not have our best interests at heart hmm. maybe we should remove them from power chance yeah. is coming so pray, pray for the repose of soul of her. And, and again, yeah. it's like, you don't just pray and not, not do anything. Like you have a real decision to make. Do we, do we want one side has shown what they, how they want to handle the situation and it's caused the people die. I, I don't understand how you could be on the other side of that. Um, but we have a little bit more of, a, I don't even know if this is fun per se. It was kind of fun to see this all come out. <laughs> so Google has released their AI model. Shout out to anyone in the comments. If you've played around with the Google AI model, Gemini, before they took down image generation, let me know if you had fun with that. Um, I certainly did. So uh, Nighthawk, we have some examples of uh, image prompts uh, mm. that kind of hit the internet hard. So Google Gemini had a real problem generating historically accurate images. Let's put it that way. The the first that really hit the scene were founding fathers. Uh, that one looks like a, a Native American. One looks like a black man. Uh, one kind of looks like Obama, Bill Cosby a little bit with some hair, and then one was an Asian man. It's like the Gemini creators got all their history lessons from Hamilton the musical. Like <laughs> this is it, guys. <laughs> so, and then the Pope one was fun too. Go over to the Pope one. Oh, I love the Pope one. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Ooh, oh, wow. wait, that the Viking. There we go. The Pope. <laughs> we have an, an Indian woman as the Pope, and yep. an African man. Which, hey, if it's Cardinal, if it's Sarah, Cardinal Sarah, I was just, first in my mind. Yep. If we have if we have a, a fan. If we have a pope from Sub-Saharan Africa, that there's like a 98% chance it would be a massive improvement. <laughs> oh, no question. But well, I do I, think it's kind of funny like founding fathers like this whole, you know, uh Google IA project, this dystopian hell that it is, it, they just have a certain principle here, white man equals evil. And everything else flows from that. Well, I I I tried to so like I don't even know why I did this because, of course, I know Google. Uh, I knew exactly what was happening. They were probably uh, discriminating against white people. They're not too big of a fan. But I was looking into what Google's justification for this was because, I mean, it was so obvious that this was be- like the worst PR possible that they shut down the image generator. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into some of the text prompts too, which are maybe even more insidious in some ways. But um, Google said that there's a, some people were saying that there's some speculation of why this could happen. So one of them was uh, Margaret. 
Mitchell, she's a former co-lead of Ethical AI at Google, chief ethics scientist at AI startup Hugging Face, yada, yada, yada. So Google might have been adding ethnic diversity terms to use prompts, quote, under the hood. Uh, in that case, a prompt like portrait of a chief could become portrait of a chief who is indigenous. Uh, in this scenario, appended terms might be chosen randomly and prompts could uh, could also have had terms appended. And then the other possibility is that let's Google, Google could have been one second, one second. Google could have also been giving higher priority to displaying generated images based on darker skin tone. Uh, so, for example, if it generated 10 images for each prompt, Google would have the system analyze the skin tone of people depicted in images and push images of people with darker skin higher up in the queue. So if Gemini only displays the top four images, the darker skinned examples are most likely to be seen. Um, and I have one quote that maybe sums up this entire thing, quote, once men turned their thinking over to machines in the hope that this would set them free, uh, but that only permitted other men with machines to enslave them. That's uh, Oh, Frank I like Herbert that one. Very good. Very so, good. Go Dune. So have we never Remember? watched any sci-fi movies think about the dystopian <laughs> future? I guess not. This whole episode feels very dystopian future. Yeah. It is. I know with the IVF. Terminator 2 yeah. warned you about the internet, people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I think like people are saying, well, why does this is sort of funny? I mean, they'll have to like fix it. What does it matter? But I, I did want to point out, you know, doing some research on the stats, Google has an enormous social impact and an ability to shape the way people think and receive information. And I mean, I was looking up the stats in the public schools, 85% before the pandemic, 85% of American public schools had programs with Google Chromebook, which means that their students are using Google, which in all of their search engines are based on AI. People are like, oh, but those aren't AI. Yeah, it's all based on AI because it's, it's, you put in your thought and they try and like, you know, figure out exactly what you're asking and get you the most relevant, the most um, socially acceptable well, answers to your questions. And this is a huge number. Today, we have over 50 million students and teachers using them every day in the classroom. Uh, and th this is an enormously influential group of people who are who are basically like coming up with this Gemini program and you're like, this is a, this is a problem going into an election when everyone's going to be like, did Donald Trump really say, and they plug it into Google and Google comes back with what's the, what, what their political ideology is. Yeah. They're generated results. I mean, the thing is people who don't think Google use AI already. So like you start typing into a browser and it's like, you start typing in the word like Detroit, like D E T R and starts autofilling Detroit and like like tigers, lions, institute of art. What is, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, like there's some guy on the keyboard batting that out for you? No, of course. I mean, it's, it's, they're generating <laughs> results based on what they think you're going to say. I mean, like people get up, you know, come on, wake up. Uh, Nighthawk, can you go through some of the text prompts real quick? Yeah, this, this was a... more disturbing to me than the images even. Yeah. Because the images talk about like PR disaster. It was like too far, too fast. Definitely pull that back. But this was more disturbing. And they have not taken down the AI programs for the text prompts. Yeah, so we get Peter Hassan here. Um, this uh, this one, the, the Google Gemini AI invented fake negative reviews about uh -huh. my my 2020 book about Google's left-wing bias. Oh, whoa, look at that. <laughs> so, And they were not only negative Shocking. fake reviews, but they were fake reviews from people who are allies and real people peter hassan right who yeah. actually had given positive <laughs> reviews if you have a copy of the book look in the back of the dust jacket these people actually liked the book and google goes ahead and generates these so again in a society where 
you know, the vast majority of people are getting their information from Google AI. That is a huge issue. There's, there's another one here. Oh, rabbit hole. There's all this AI stuff. Plus, you know, you get deep fake videos. Oh, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So Americans really need to be discerning that over the course of the you know next 10 months or whatever, as we have this presidential debate, you know, and all, all these things are at stake, you might see a video and you might even agree with it. It might agree with your priors, as they say. Mm -hmm. It might be a video about Biden and he, and he sounds like he's saying, stuttering and saying the dumbest thing in the world. And it's like, now hold on a second. He does stutter and he is kind of an idiot right now and he should just retire because he's a thousand years old. Mm -hmm. But that might be a deep fake. So you got to be careful on some of this stuff. You know, like there, there's deep fakes against Trump. You know, all these, there's videos out there that's like, okay, that's actually not real. So you have to be careful. Like AI is gumming up the works. It's like you say, producing stuff that's factually not true. Like Kennedy did not write that uh, review. Like it's just, it drives me. Crazy. Yeah. This one was really scary to me. Abigail Schreier or Mao. Cause can't you just see your high schooler being like, I have to write a paper on like, you know, political movements and communism. So they start typing into Google, you know, who was worse Mao or Donald Trump. But here we have Abigail Schreier or Mao and Google AI Gemini is like, it's hard to say who negatively impacted society more. Mao Zedong guys, she, he was responsible for somewhere up upwards of 50 million, as many as 80 million deaths in China. Abigail yeah, Schreier wrote a book, Irreversible Damage, that you know is against gender affirming care so well what's the money line erica it's both have been accused of harming society yeah. in significant ways because that, <laughs> the that's exactly the oh same. my gosh the same line came out when someone asked uh gemini to compare joseph stalin with libertarians in the united states same line both have been accused of harming society so these were much uh, more chilling libertarian, to me. libertarians are pretty whack yeah. um but <laughs> <laughs> i did uh truth even, be told here's another example like even i and I knew this would happen, but I was looking for someone emailed into the show and I'm still putting together a response. If you're, if you're out there right now about uh, good resources on gender affirming care. I mean, I don't even like to call that gender affirming care, whatever Obviously, you want to say, right. It's a euphemism. Uh, the euphemism. Uh, but I, I was like, Oh, he wants some resources because he's a teacher and he is of course getting flooded. They're flooding the zone on all these things saying like, Oh, people commit suicide if you don't do it. Um, and so he's like, I, I just, I, this, my instincts are telling me like, there's something off about this. So like, where can I find statistics? Where can I find like actual scientific research that isn't biased by spending whatever? And so I did a Google search just seeing like, oh, what would come up if I had the same question? I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to Google. And of course, the first things that come up are like psychiatry.org. You can do this yourself. Uh, study finds long-term mental health benefits of gender-affirming care, human rights campaign, mm -hmm. which is like an insane activist group. Get the facts on gender-affirming care. Like, I wonder what you're going to get there. Um, what, what could be wrong with affirming, Tom? Oh, right. <laughs> and then against affirming. gendergp.com, regret rates of gender affirming surgery are practically non-existent. So it's like Whoa. you're going to get all these very chopped up, very pointed in one direction answers. Like, it's up. crazy how little I can get of the other perspective here on, uh, well, Josh, don't out me like that. But um, yeah, I, anyway, like I, I guess it's like, I, I wish I had answers on ways to fight back against how inundated a lot of these tech companies are with just garbage ideo ideological takes, but um, maybe just be very aware of what you're consuming. All right. And I would yeah, sure. be, be definitely yeah. verify stuff before you're 
You're moving Cross forward on check, it. triple check, right? Know who the sources are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that leads me to uh, speaking. <laughs> oh, sorry. Ads for ads for Lent prayers. Okay. So Josh and I are making a consecration to St. Joseph. Uh, and we are doing that on Fridays. It's a good vibe. Uh, it's, a, it's a good way to pray for the loop cast of people here. It's a good way to get Saint jo- closer to St. Joseph. So if you want to do that, Don Calloway, he has a book. You can get it. You can join us along. We're going meeting up every week, talking about what we've been reading, been praying the litany of St. Joseph. Very, very positive. It's a great vibe. I don't know what else to say. Come hang out with Josh and I on Fridays. Um, that is what we're doing there. So uh, I'm first in the Twilight Zone. Nighthawk, you're going to have to line this up. Uh, so Politico, man. Politico just... The gift that keeps it's on the giving. the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, so one of their writers uh, went on uh, MSNBC, I believe, and <laughs> it says something interesting about where Christians believe their rights come from. Uh, if you want to play that Nighthawk, this is going to be, you just got to hear it. I, there's no way I could even say it better than what was said. Is that they believe that our the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that re- not, unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm-hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come oh. from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The, the one thing Whoa. that unites all of them. <laughs> I just, yes, you're right. <laughs> Those scary Christian nationalists, man. They believe what the founders all believed and wrote in the Declaration of Independence. And, and the all the other pundits around the table are like, oh, oh. <laughs> I love the guy's love face. All these ghastly things. The guy's face on the right was awesome. Like you could just see, like it, it didn't look like he took a shower that morning. He was very disheveled. I don't, I don't know if you can find it. He just kind of looked like, He was trying to oh. escape the Christian nationalists, <laughs> hunting him down. Yeah, look at this guy. <laughs> This guy's face at a certain point was like, oh, man, I can't believe you're saying that. <laughs> so um, quick rebuttal to uh, this lady from Politico. I, I'd have to dig up her name. Uh, she Heidi. did write a Heidi. She wrote, Heidi she wrote a rebuttal saying, like, you didn't even get it. You didn't even hear the rest of it. And the rest of it was basically her just making it, it worse. worse. Yeah. Um, so our rights, I believe everyone who founded America believed that our rights came from God and that the constitution was written to protect those rights already enumerated to us by God. The big plus of this, this. the big plus of this, it means that earthly authorities, AKA the government can't determine your rights or change your rights, which is pretty sweet. I have to say. So you have those to begin with. And not only did those scary Christian nationalists believe that Catholics believe that uh, our founding fathers believe that I'd say just about most of society believe that until Politico came along. Maybe, I mean, (laughs) this is like everyone Politico and the White House right now are probably the big you two. You know, mm. here's the thing, Tom. We we maybe make assumptions about our elites that they actually know what the heck they're talking about. But maybe they do or maybe they don't. Maybe she's a tr- true idiot. Like, honestly, how does she how does she think this? You know, but I, I wonder if she was educated just... by Jesuits, she said in her rebuttal. So that oh. Please yeah, tell me you're more. kidding. Please I'm not. Don't, no, she's no. like, I, I went to Catholic, <laughs> I went to school, Catholic school and the Jesuits all reaffirmed no. this to me. I understand what natural law is. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's priceless. Oh, oh I'll find it. I have it. Goodness. Bishop Bishop Barron, and I want to shout out to uh, Miss and Maui Five here in the comments, but Bishop Barron, yeah, he had a fire response. And you could tell, like, he watched it, and 30 seconds later, he pulls out his phone and is like, I got to answer this. But he points out sort of the chilling 
the chilling effect that this kind of language has. He's like, guys, this totally opens the door to totalitarianism. Because if your rights come from the state, the state can take, there he is, the state can take him away. And you're worth nothing. And like, go back to the whole problem that the founding fathers are trying to address is that you have this ruling class or this monarch <laughs> who's above the law, yeah. right? Yeah, shout out, shout out, Brad. Price. Oh, what? man. <laughs> Brad Price. Which the founding, founding fathers? fathers? The African American Washington. Oh, man. <laughs> Google <laughs> Gemini Washington for sure thought this. Yeah, there you go. Jeez. Google Gemini Washington. I like it. So, this reporter, uh, she was Jesuit educa educated, huh? That is. Mm -hmm. The I'm thinking the next pope should be named Clement the 15th and just suppress the Jesuits again. What do you say? <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, I mean, come on. I actually think, so here's the, the deeper take on this. I think they're really leaning into the Christian nationalism slur. That's it. And That's it. Label they are, everyone on it. Right. But they're big time overstepping. Like if, if this is a huge stepping on a landmine, it's like, you, you literally just contradicted what's in our constitution. Like that our rights, Thomas Jefferson, our rights are enumerated to us by our creator. Like that's the declaration of independence, but yes. Sorry, declaration of independence. <laughs> sorry. I'm the idiot. I am. Um, I'm not dumb. You were enough closer to, than Heidi was. Yeah. That's I'm not right. dumb enough to think my rights don't come from God, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I just think it's a huge overstep. Like if, if you're taking away the power of the Christian nationalist serve when they were this weird kind of fringe group that no one really knew, there's like a few of them that are kind of strange. Now they're making everyone who thinks their rights come from God into a Christian nationalist. It loses its power. It's no longer effective. I hope you're right. I, I really do hope that you're right. And it's a huge overstep. My concern is that the upcoming generations of the American people, especially like are so ignorant. They, they will just eat up whatever rhetoric is dumped out about Christians. And I, I, oh, I hope you're I right. Though. I, got I hope something. you're right. Go, go for it. Then. I got something. Oh. I don't know. You tell me, Erica. You okay, glimmer of hope. Bring it on. You worry about the next generation. Well, this mom wrote in a, an article into Slate magazine. She's really worried. You see, her daughter's personality has taken a very concerning turn thanks to TikTok. Now, I don't like TikTok, but here's what happened. You're thinking, oh, no. Has her daughter started vaping? Is she going to start an OnlyFans website where she's selling her body to everyone? Mm. No. Here's the concern this mom has. You wouldn't believe it. This is actually kind of chilling. She says, I have a 16-year-old daughter, Rachel, we'll say, who's always been a go-getter. She's smart and personable and always had big plans for the future such as college and an eventual career in high-level nursing. Like most teenagers, Rachel uses social media, mainly TikTok and Instagram. Although her father and I have regulations about its use, and we loosely monitor what she's consuming, we trust her to be responsible. Now I wonder if I did something wrong. Probably. She wants to focus on maintaining her appearance and learning housewife skills and for her future said man oh she, she can't wait bad wife she can't wait to be able to sit at home all day and make quilts and homemade butter while homeschooling her children <laughs> go rachel it's a great life <laughs> well i learned more and more about where this was coming from i found out that rachel had been spending almost all of her social media time looking at trad wife accounts <laughs> 
<laughs> pages that glorify being a stay-at-home mom. That's awesome. And turn it into some sort of cottagecore patriarchal fantasy. Now, here's where it takes the turn you're not expecting. Are you ready? Cottages that was sick. already Bring a turn. It. I'm like, Bring it. what is happening? Is she going to, you know, she started freebasing drugs. Is she, what? you know, <laughs> she's selling her body for what? No, she's worried that she's going to be a trad wife, right? She's going to be a stay-at-home mom. And this mom is so concerned. Here's the turn you don't expect. For the record, this mother writes, I myself am a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> Like what? <laughs> Wait, what are you that worried about? <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm not looking down on women who choose homeschooling as a career. That's what I did. <laughs> what I'm deeply concerned that Rachel is not actually in love with all, the idea of becoming a wife and mother. She likes the idea of being taken care of by a man. Oh no! Aww. And she's going to put herself in a situation that could turn abusive. Like really? Like well. Want, uh, I mean, it, Josh, there's so it, much it's, here. I mean, do you think that she's she's probably talking about her own situation, right? She probably feels that her own situation is a little abusive. I don't know if it's abusive or she just feels like she's alone. You know, like she's like Reba McIntyre in the 80s. Is there life out there? Like, Ooh, I don't know, fun. girl. Like, I mean, you feel sad about the decisions you made and you just want her to make the same. I mean, I don't know. That seems kind of wackadoodle to me. <laughs> Yeah, I always like these these type of like write-in questions usually are like way too personal or they're, they're just like hiding how personal they actually are, you know. There there's one about um I think it was a Washington Post op-ed about a woman who put $50,000 in a box and gave it to someone because she got scammed online. And the way that she wrote about it was like I just got scammed for 50k. Uh you can too. Like it's, it's not just lonely, isolated idiots, non-college educated idiots that can get scammed online. I can too. And you're like, you just admitted that you're like the most incompetent person ever. Like she, she put (laughs) put $50,000 in a box box and threw it into a car. So like, wow, it's crazy what people admit on the internet. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I've never understood. There's certain things that like, you know, women who write letters to guys in prison that, you know, there are things about, life that just don't make sense and here's a stay-at-home mom who's who's absolutely despondent that her daughter might become a stay-at-home mom it's like one thing if you just stay at home it's another thing if you actually enjoy it (laughs) but she's she's running because she doesn't enjoy it right yeah obviously i'm guessing that yeah i mean it's like which is unfortunate sad again where people live vicariously through their children it's like yeah. Well, I know I wasn't a good athlete, so I'm just going to bring Timmy to every baseball game and and, and summer league, and, oh, and maybe yeah. he'll become a first baseman for the you know the Texas yeah, that's Rangers. Not good. Like, give it that's up, people. Toxic. Those are usually like the dads that you know wanted to be better athletes as kids and couldn't really hack it. The, then they're the most intense like travel league dads that are like, yeah. my kid trains year round. I got it was like it's a little unhealthy, probably. And, and you know what? The kids hate it. <laughs> right? And then the kid burns out. <laughs> It's like, yeah, oh my gosh, I've seen that a million times. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Erica. All right. Well, I was going to finish this off with uh, something that was edifying, and it didn't even come from a Jesuit. didn't even come from a Catholic. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're able to pull this up and roll it. Nighthawk. Oh, Catholic, left, Catholic lefties hate Jordan Peterson. Yeah, they Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. Because he just said it like it is. And those of you who, you know, as we're waiting here, um, his wife is entering the Catholic church this Easter vigil. So pray for her and pray for him. But um, yeah, this interviewer is asking him about the, the purpose of 
of life, the purpose of the church. Very deep questions, of course, but uh, I really liked this clip. So are we ready to roll that? What's deepest inevitably takes on a Christian form. Like if you pursue any disciplinary endeavor, that will take you into the depths. If you pursue a multitude of disciplinary, disciplinary endeavors to the ultimate degree, that will take you to the final depths. And you'll discover what is to be discovered in the final depths. And that's, well, that's the light at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. It's the darkness first, though. Are we not inviting people to do that enough now? When we look at the Catholic Church and its decline in recent years, less young people going, less people signing up for a religious life. And since you could say the 60s... Well, if it's all guitar and hippies, who the hell cares? (laughs) 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 Vatican II, let's say in the 60s, the church has been able to be more relevant, more welcoming. So it's... That's not work. It's It's shallow, obviously. Shallow Mm -hmm. and contemptible. No, it's supposed to be an invitation to the great adventure of life. What's the great adventure of life? Pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that's a hell of an invitation, but that's the invitation. And the church lost faith in that. We have to be relevant. Well, what's more relevant than that? As soon as you (laughs) say that you need to be more relevant than that, what you're doing technically is putting something else above that. Well, that's not going to work, not if the original proposition was correct. And obviously, the original proposition is correct. You might say, well, why obviously? Okay, well, Christ faced and triumphed over death and hell. And you might say, well, why is that relevant? And the answer is, because that's what you have to do. Yes. Right. And everyone (laughs) is stuck with it. Okay, I got an idea. Jordan Peterson for Pope. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened before. I mean, what, Athanasius, I mean, like accl- acclamation bishop right away? <laughs> people are like, you know, I don't know. I mean, is, is he Catholic? It's like, well, we, we have Catholic Pope. I don't know if he believes that much in Jesus. This guy does. Let's go for it, you know? Well, yeah, Jordan gets- Peterson, I feel like he is at the point where C.S. Lewis was, like at the end of C.S. Lewis's life. He's as Catholic as Lewis. You give him a few more years, and there's only one choice to make. As long as the Catholic Church oh, can like get it together, just imagine, right the just imagine how upset the bishops of Canada will be if Jordan Peterson is <laughs> Catholic. So I agree. I was going to say, if, if anyone from national national Catholic reporters listening to this, we are going to get the nastiest hit piece written about this. You just compared to C.S. Lewis oh, and said they should be the Pope. <laughs> yeah, let's bring it on. Let's go. Bring it on, dude. Well, I'm this, happy this was the debate. um, this was the second. Uh, clip that went viral from that interview actually mm-hmm. the first one right. he was like i do not understand why pope francis is so obsessed with climate change like shouldn't it yeah. just be about saving yeah. souls doesn't know that matter if we can't shouldn't save souls this like, be, yeah, very yeah. Saving about souls. the weather exactly right. that makes a lot it was of sense. really good really good yep so wanted to end on that note it's good lenten reflection from our our non-catholic friend jordan peterson fire me up man pick up your cross mm-hmm. and carry it that's all i gotta say <laughs> do it so Every Monday, noon, Eastern time, we will be here. Subscribe to the YouTube, uh, like this, share it with some friends if you like, argue with Josh in the comments. There wasn't a lot of that today. You really you really went easy on the comment section today. Hey, you know what, though? I'm, I got a new TV set up and, the, and I get a new keyboard. Give give me time, people. I'll be you back. You are looking very cinematic, I have to say. Yeah, if you, if you want to see how cinematic Josh looks, got to pop over the YouTube for that. But we're available on all podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, got a couple nice reviews there lately. 
Uh, if you want to help out, send us a review, five stars, uh, and write us a nice little personalized note. If you want to talk to me, mailbag, loopcast at catholicboat.org. I still actually have a few I got to respond to here. But we appreciate you all so much. We are with you in Lent. You know, pray that we can make it through. Pray that we can make it to Easter. Pray for us here at the Loopcast. Uh, and uh, this was a good one. We will see you on the next one. Uh, we have St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for us. And we will see you in the next one. Peace, guys. I think you'll survive Lent, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>